We are continuing in Psalms. Uh, now mics are quite hot. There we go. Uh, we're continuing in Psalms um, as, we, as we have been. Um, I was thinking this week, what a joy it was that I was on sabbatical last year when Scott was preaching one really hard psalm after another. And then this year, we're in the psalms, and really it's just one joyful song of praise week after week after week. Um, I love I love this. Um, for any of you who have never made the psalms a part of your daily devotional, a part of your daily reading, or at least a regular part of your, your weekly habit of being in Scripture, um, I, j- I just can't, gotta say, we all need to. Um, the Psalms offer us something that you don't find elsewhere in Scripture in most other parts. The Psalms offer us the ability to get into prayer and into kind of private song when we're reading it alone, but when we're reading it together into corporate worship in a way that just thinking about the fact that the Psalms were Israel's songbook for generations. One of the things that I think um, the Psalms allow us to do, and really I would actually extend this to any song, any singing, any gospel singing that is, is they allow us to season the rest of life with the gospel. There's a lot of different things we can season our lives with. And what I mean by that, in in terms of our lives, I mean everything. There's a lot of things we can season our lives with, right? So there's a lot of things I can season my marriage with. There's a lot of things I can season my parenting with. There's a lot of things that I can season my pastoring with. There's even a lot of things I can season my yard work and my wood shop work and my chores list and all of life. And the same thing is true for you. And in fact, you already do this. You season everything you do with something. For some of us, we season the rest of life with anger and bitterness and sadness and sorrow and sternness and joylessness and any number of other nisses that we could add to that 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 cause all of life to lose flavor, to lose the, the joy. The Psalms, and and especially the one we're going to be looking at today, is one that I think just invites us to season life with the joy of Christ, with the life that comes from the gospel. And, And so I want to get us into this. We're in Psalm 66. Church, I pray that we would be a people that season all of life with joy, with joy in the Lord. Here's what Psalm 66 tells us. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They, there they did rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. You went, or we went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. 
I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. When I started thinking about, I think this is the third or maybe the fourth straight week of praise, I started to, to think at, at one level, you know, Lord, it would be nice to have something practical to bring to our people. And the Lord reminded me of what I already shared with you as we opened, and that is that there is nothing more practical than praise. When you think about the number of times in Scripture, and I have no idea how many times we are told to worship God, to praise, to adore Him, to shout, to exalt, to sing with joy. I have no idea. But I know that if you were to look for it as you read through the Bible, you would not be surprised, I hope, that it happens often. Church, there is nothing more practical than talking about praising God. Because it is our praise of God that changes all the rest of life. It is our praise of God, our joy in Him, our exalting in His life, the life He gives to us, that seasons every piece of our lives. There is not a married person in this room who could not find more joy in their marriage if they praised God more. There is not a parent in this room who could find more contentment in their, in their parenting, more satisfaction in their parenting than if we were to praise God all the more. There is not a person in this room who is called to work who would not find more enjoyment in their work if their work day was filled with praise. Church, when we think about praise, we, we think about this thing, I think, sometimes that we do on Sunday morning, and it's kind of relegated to like 25 minutes of our weekly life. But that's not what we see in Scripture when it comes to praise. What we see in Scripture is that praise is supposed to be something we do continually, and it's supposed to flood and to fill all other aspects of our life. We should not be able to eat a meal or drink a drink without some level of praise to the Lord for what he has given to us. So what I want to propose to you today is that there is nothing more practical than talking and spending this time on praise. For some of us, we may be facing some really hard things. The things of illness, disease, cancer, divorce, separation, brokenness, sin, addiction. Heartache, heartbrokenness. And I want you to know, if you are sitting here in this place today and that is where you are, then, 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 then there is nothing more practical than you need to hear that, that it is time to praise the Lord. It is time to, to stand up and sing and to shout out. Because how you go through those things will be affected. They will be seasoned by something. Will you season that with joy in the Lord or will you season that with bitterness and anger and frustration and sadness and exhaustion and whatever else we season with. We're going to look at our passage today. We're going to see really three things about praise, praising God. Three things we're going to look at. The first is this, that God deserves the praise of all people. God deserves the praise of all people. Hear this again, these first verses in 1 through 4. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. 
So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Now one of the things that I would, I would point out to you is the use of the word all here. All the earth worships you, verse 4, and sings praises to you. They all sing praises <coughs> to your name. Verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth. All the earth. Sing the glory of his name, all. All should be giving to him glorious praise. Verse 3, even those who are his enemies must come to him in praise. Think about all the earth. When the Bible talks about all the earth, it's, it's serious about all. I have say this a lot whenever we, we come to the word all. All the earth should be praising. The, the thing is, all creation already is. As creation waits and groanings for its full redemption, for the restoration, creation itself is already worshiping the Lord, singing praises in the various ways, the various sounds, sights, and smells that creation is capable of that causes glory to God. Humanity, on the other hand, we are behind the curve. We are falling short somewhere. Humanity as a whole does not worship God. Humanity as a whole has, has wholly turned themselves away from God with the exceptions of those who have found themselves in salvation by the, the gift and the glory of Jesus Christ. But even we who have found ourselves in that place do so pitifully, weakly, and not weakly as in every week, but weakly as in without strength. But scripture tells us here in this psalm, we are commanded to shout for joy to God. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes it's hard to shout for joy or to sing to the glory of God. Because like I said, life, life is hard and, and there's just things in, in our lives that are, that are trouble. But the commands here are for everyone, even those of us who are in hard times going through difficult things. And whether or not we worship God is going to determine how well we go through those things. One of the things that I, I see in this, and just a good reminder for us, I think I've said this every psalm we've preached this summer in some way, is that as Christians, our lives should be marked with, should be characterized by joyful praise. Our lives should be marked by joyful praise. And the commands to that do not, are not dependent on the circumstances of our lives. But we are called to them whether we are in a place of happiness or a place of sorrow. As evidence of the all here, the psalmist gives us one very specific and I think very gospel-oriented truth. In verse 3, we are told to say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Now, real quick, can you and I right now together say, how awesome are your deeds? Ready? Go. How awesome are your deeds? All right, now real quick, every one of us who said that out loud right now is slightly more obedient to Scripture than we were 30 seconds ago. And that's how easy this is. Right? We're told to, to, to say to God, how awesome are your deeds. That leads into the second part of verse 3, which is a great gospel truth, because so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. This is really good news, church, because there's not a one of us who has not been an enemy of God. Some of us have become friends of God, though some of us still even here today in this church are likely still enemies. The good news is for all of us, we either have come from that or we still are and need to come from that, but the invitation is there. That we might look upon the awesome deeds of God and realize who he is, and if we are still enemies, that we might come to him cringing and I just have this picture of, of the kid 
who knows that they're not in a good spot with something they've just done and, and they've got to go to their parents since they're going and they're kind of like, this is going to be bad. And then the parent just, what does the parent do? I mean, the parent just creams them, right? I mean, no. And when your kid comes to you in contriteness, realizing that they have done wrong, that they're not who they're supposed to be, they come to you, what do you do? I mean, you love them. Here's the thing about the fear of the Lord, and, and I've been studying this a lot lately, the fear of the Lord, we're going to talk again about this at the end of this passage in our, in our last section, but the fear of the Lord does two things. To those who are not in Him, the fear of the Lord sends scattering. For those who are in him, the fear of the Lord causes us to come and get close. It is really good news to those of us who are and have been enemies of God that, that even we would be called to come and worship him. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Hear these words. Hear these words. Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I love those much more now things. Right? Because on the one hand, while we were enemies, he loved us enough that Christ would die for us, that we would find new life and have new life in him. But how much more so for those of us who are in him now and have no need to come to him cringing, but to simply come to him in the joy of praise for all that he has done, is doing, and for who he is. Amen? How much more so, church, should we come before God in joy? How much more so should we find ourselves in him in joy? Church, God is deserving of the praises of all people. And in case you didn't know, that includes you. That includes you. All right, the second thing we see in our passage about praise is that God deserves the praise because of what he has done. God deserves the praise because of what he has done. Now look at me. We're going to see two things here. The first thing we're going to see is that he has done what he has done for his people causes him to be deserving of praise. Verses 5 through 7. The psalmist writes this, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. What's that referring to? The Exodus, of course, right when God endeavored to rescue his people from slavery. And in doing so, at the beginning of that journey, opened up the Red Sea, caused dry land, and they passed through. And what did they do on the other side? They sang a joyful song of praise. At the end of the story of Exodus, when they're finally coming into the promised land, what did God do again? He opened up or closed off the River Jordan, caused them to walk again on dry land through the river this time. And what did they do on the other side? They praised God. See, God deserves praise because of what he has done for his people. And what I, I want us to see in here really quick, because I think we're mostly familiar with that story, is that in verse 6, the psalmist writes this, There did we rejoice in him. Now there's very little chance that the psalmist, the one who wrote this song, 
was even alive when that happened. Now, maybe it was written long ago, and then it was included in the psalm book much, much, much later, but chances are the person who wrote this was not alive, and, and they declare, there we rejoiced in him. Not only that, but think about this. This psalm book is written for all believers, both Jewish Old Testament and New Testament Christians, that we too might also follow its example and sing praises out of it, which means we are commanded to also sing. We sing these words, and let me ask you a question. Were you there when God opened up the waters and delivered the nation of Israel? Then how in the world, right, the answer is no, in case you missed that. Then, then how in the world can we sing that we were there rejoicing? See, this lets us in on, on a bit of what God does and how God thinks about his people. Because his people were there, we too were there. Because we are united with them in Christ for all eternity. We are one body, one people, one bride of Christ. And so when anyone in the body sings praise and joy, whether that happened 4,000 years ago or will happen in a 1,000 years if Christ tarries, then we too are rejoicing with them. There's a really powerful thing that happens here and it's part of why even when our circumstances are awful, we can sing praises to the Lord. Because even though our life might be hard right now, even though we might not be seeing the, bless, the, the, the blessings from the Lord, there are believers who are. This is one of the very reasons why when we come to church, we sing. Right? We know that not everybody in the room is ready to sing or wants to sing or has joy on their lips, but something happens when the body is together and we're singing praises and the instruments are doing their music beautifully and, and those things, something happens. It causes the saints to sing together and to be together and as one and in unity. How powerful is it to think that we too, in singing praises this morning, as we sang all creatures of our God and King, as my son's up here just belting out hallelujah, anybody else catch that? Because I did. That we too were singing with the Israelites having just been delivered from Egypt. That we too were singing with the saints who suffered and died for their faith at the hands of the Roman government. That we too sing with the saints in, in China and in Middle Eastern countries. And when we sing, they sing with us. We rejoice in him. Amen? The second thing we see after we've been thinking about praising God because of what he's done for his people is, is what has he done for me? Now, I, I will tell you, and this was actually a little corrective for me. I, I've been one of those guys that has been a little bit critical of, of especially a lot of modern praise music, which has this capacity, this tendency to kind of land in the like eyes and me's and a lot. Well, that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. In fact, there's a switch that happens here in the psalm where it goes from this corporate we to I and me. And the reality is, as much as we, and we really should, praise God for what he's done for his people, every one of us who is in Christ should be praising God for what he has done for, for me and what he has done for you. Verses 8 through 12, check this out. Now, this is not a pleasant passage, okay? This is not, not one that, that is easy, but hear this. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. Right, we're still in the corporate here. 
You've brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. You went through fire and through water, and you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Okay, now the language here is definitely corporate. But the psalmist here is thinking about themselves and what they have gone through. How many of us praise God for things like these? That we get, or that, that, right, that, that we might not have our feet slip, right? What's the implication there? That there's cause for feet to slip. How many of us praise God because we are being tested and tried like silver is tested and tried? In case you don't know what that image is, silver is burned in an incredibly hot flame to purify it. And that's what the psalmist is referring to here. How many of you just sing praises to God? God, thank you for blessing me with trials today. That's exactly what the psalmist is doing. How about getting stuck in a net or having crushing burdens placed on our backs? Verse 12, how about men riding over our heads? And that's just an image of, of, of calvary, cavalry, not calvary, cavalry, right? Charging over and just dominating, winning the battle. But then he says, or a psalmist says, yet you have brought us, oh, so actually, I even skipped, they've been through fire and through water, and then it says, you have brought us out to a place of abundance, okay? Verse 13 is where this truly switches to the, the personal, and it says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered, my mouth promised. When I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, right? So we have that switch from corporate to, to personal. And one of the things that I would just point out to us right now is that sometimes in order to praise God for the hard stuff in our lives, we have to have already been praising God for the corporate things. Because it's through the example of Scripture and what God has always done for His people that we can then land in our own personal struggles and realize that God is doing something bigger than what we think or know. We talk about reading Scripture here a lot. Of the hundred reasons that I could give you for you to be in your Bibles regularly, this is one of them. I have found it incredibly difficult in my own life to praise God for the difficulties in my life when I'm in a season where I am not reading Scripture very often. But when I open up Scripture from the beginning to the end and I read of saints who have come before me who went through fire and through water, who were tempted, who went through trials and through persecution, through any number of things, and I see that God was doing a beautiful and wonderful thing in their lives, it means that when I look at my own, I can praise God. Not because I know what he's going to do, but because I'm pretty sure I, th I have an idea that it's all going to work out in the end. Again, as scripture promises. Church, it's very often that our praise of God for what he's done for his people leads to our ability to praise God for the things he's doing in our lives, whether those things are good or bad. They open our eyes to see what he's doing, that we might see what he's doing in our lives. So church, God deserves the praise of all the people, and he deserves the praise because of what he's done. The third thing we want to look at today is praising God for answered prayer. Praising God for answered prayer. Look at me uh, to verse 16 and 20, through, through 20, rather. Psalmist writes, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. 
Now, what's in view here is literally answered prayer. Before we get to that, I want to land us in a couple of the phrases at the beginning part of this, particularly out of verse 16. The first of the phrase in the first line that says, Come and hear all you who fear God. Come and hear all you who fear God. Like I mentioned earlier, there are two kinds of fear of the Lord. There is a fear that pushes you away from God in dread, and there is a fear that pulls you to him in wonderful and fearful praise. Now you can see this when you look at the world. Right? There are those who who hear about the wonderful things of God and they run from him to everything else they can find. In fact, they will choose the terrifying things of the earth and of creation instead of the wonderful fear of the Lord. Right? They will choose to side with Satan. They will choose to find their, their path in sin, in an unrighteousness, and knowingly so. Sometimes we like to think that everybody who isn't a Christian is doing it in ignorance. Not true. There's a whole lot of people who willfully run from the Lord because of how mighty and awesome and good he is, and it terrifies them. Because if God really is who we proclaim him to be, and who we proclaim him to be is but a shadow of what Scripture proclaims him to be, then church, he is worth, God is worth everything. And if you want to be the master of your existence, if you want to be the one in charge of your life, the worst thing you can do is meet Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I wasn't looking for Christ when he found me. I was running the other way. But what I discovered and what I think most of you have discovered is the beautiful, wonderful Savior who, upon meeting him, immediately demanded everything. Right? Discipleship is not an hour on Sunday morning and a couple moments of thought to Christianity through the week. Jesus calls us to account of our whole lives in him. And I think the world knows this. I think we know this. Even those of us who are still kind of flirting with the idea of Christ, but still trying to do all the rest of life our, our own way, we know it. We know how worthy he is of praise. He know, we know it. You know it. If you don't know it, I don't know that you're saved. I don't know that you have met the wonderful, beautiful Savior I don't know. Because I don't know how you could see the Christ that I know and that we proclaim out of Scripture and think, eh, not really. And think he's not worth every minute of the rest of your life. Church, there are two kinds of fear of the Lord. One pushes you away. It keeps you at arm's distance, at arm's length from him. Or further. The other is, is a fear of the Lord that just draws us to him. It is a fear that, that captivates, that draws, that, that causes in us, in our, our heads, a sense of awe, in our hearts, that sense of fear. And fear is the right word. Because when you meet someone and so magnificent, so wonderful, it causes a tremor. The psalmist invites all who would hear, all who fear the Lord to hear. And he says, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I will tell what he has done for my soul. Can I ask you, are you someone who tells people what God has done in your soul? I mean, most of us don't talk this way. Most of us don't interact with family, friends, neighbors, or anybody else in this way, right? If I were to walk up to you on the street and be like, hey, man, how's your soul? You'd be like, what? If I were to walk up to you and say, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Clinton, man, what God did for my soul this week. 
Now, it might make sense because I'm your pastor, but what if your neighbor did? <laughs> right? Are we ready to tell people what God has done for our souls? Are we ready to share that he has rescued us from death into life? That he has caused a healing in us to take place? Are we ready to share with those people around us? Are we people who are ready to just say, hey, look, to anyone who will come and listen, this is what God has done for me. And hear this. This is what he's talking about. Verse 17, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. So the psalmist is saying, look, I praised God with my tongue, and I cried to him with my mouth. He's talking about asking the Lord for help. Asking the Lord for help. Church, we are a, a group of people who ask the Lord for a lot. I think we need to ask the Lord for far more. Something happens when we cry out to God in desperation. When we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we can't fight that sin by ourselves. That moment we realize our addiction is beyond us no matter what psychology says to us about mastering our own demons. There comes a moment in our lives where we realize that every effort we've ever made to save ourselves, whether those efforts were religious, right? I'm going to show up, I'm going to do, I'm going to be, I'm going to fix this, I can do this. Or whether it's to abandon all of those things and just kind of run the other way, doing our own thing and casting off kind of what we think are the shackles of morality, in exchange for our personal joy, right? We, we come to a moment where we get to the end of all that and we realize, I can't do this. We cry out to the Lord and what happens? He hears our prayer. He answers our prayer. Now, I will just tell you, we as a church have been in a really neat season. And this season is not just the last week, the last two weeks, even the last month. We have been in a season where, where I hear and see as pastor here of countless answers to prayer. On big scale things, on little scale things, constantly. We are a church that has seen answered prayer on, on so many fronts. We've talked to last week about the AC units. And that just happening through God's answer to prayer. This week I shared at our, at our, uh, our, our Thursday night dinner that I had felt like the Lord had said, hey, look, we're, we need to pray for 10 new people. And we had that. We had that. Zane, last week, prayed for a discount on something. And when he got to the store, it was the same price as what it was supposed to be. And then he got up to the register, and you know what? It was on sale. Despite the computers not knowing it was on sale. Church, we have seen, heard of people being healed, being miraculously healed. We have seen, heard, prayed for people to discover and find the Lord, and we have seen that. I love this bit of scripture right here. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Now, church, when I start proclaiming things like answered prayer, what does your heart do? Does your heart start singing? Or does your heart start saying, well, does your heart start wondering, man, is Matt just making a big deal about this? I mean, 10 people, right? I mean, a real prayer would have been 100. Right? Do we start to wonder whether or not these things are real, or do we say, praise the Lord? psalmist says, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I, I need to have a hard word with any of us who hear that the Lord might have answered prayer and immediately go 
to the skepticism. Because what it tells us here is that you should be hearing and listening if you fear the Lord. And if you're not, if you're not, if you don't think the Lord answers prayer, if you don't think the Lord is going to work powerfully, if you don't think that what He does when He comes into the lives of individuals of us is rescue us from death into life, if you think that I'm making a big deal of nothing, when we talk about the miracle of someone coming to salvation, then you are someone who doesn't come and here you are someone who does not fear the Lord. We have a trouble, and the trouble is that a lot of times we pray, and every one of us has done this, we pray and our prayers do not get answered, right? What that causes in us is a brokenness, a, a distrust, a doubt, right? The more we pray, the things don't happen, we don't see God working, and it causes us more and more to be quick to assume that God doesn't work this way anymore or at all. And maybe never did. The psalmist has a different answer. Verse 17. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. Verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Verse 19. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Why do some of us get answers to prayer? Why do some of the time we get answers to prayer, but some of the time we don't? Scripture's really clear about it. Sin. And this is a harsh word. This is a hard word in the middle of a really joyful psalm. Church, I have cried out with huge things, desperate things, and seen nothing. I have cried out with tiny little things, and gotten answers to prayer. Church, if you are someone who has prayed a ton and has never heard an answer to prayer, then it might be because the Lord is not listening to you because there is sin in the way. Because you are not yet saved. The psalmist is really sure that God listens. But the psalmist is also really sure that if, that if the Lord doesn't, it's, it's not because the Lord is inept or inadequate or unkind or ungracious or unmerciful, but because they have a problem. They have a sin problem. So what about prayers that aren't answered? The teaching is clear. And, and this is a hard word. Verse 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, do you love sin more than you love God? Do you love the pleasure that comes from sin more than you love God? Do you love doing things your own way more than you love doing way, things God's way? Do you love trusting in your own works more than casting your cares off to him and and, and seeing that he is giving you the gift of salvation apart from your works. We have to be a people that stop enjoying our sin if we want to see prayers answered. So we got to stop enjoying our sin and say, well, Pastor Matt, I don't enjoy my sin. When I sin, I don't like it, I feel icky, I feel gross. Okay, well, here's the thing, then stop. then stop. But the reality is that, is that we keep on persisting in our sin because we do enjoy it. Now, we may not like what happens right afterwards, how we feel when we then open up Scripture and we're reminded, oh, man, or when we try to pray and we actually feel like the Lord isn't listening at the moment. If we didn't enjoy it, we would just stop doing it. We should hate our sin. Because we love and fear God. One of the things that I see in this passage when I take it all together is that there are two things that really help us to stop sinning. The first is praising the Lord. The second is that fear of the Lord. 
That those two things together, fearing the Lord, being drawn to Him in His holiness, and praising Him for what He has done, is one of the very things that stops our sin from, being, or from, from silencing our prayers. Now, the psalmist isn't the only one that says that. I'd invite you to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter makes this point a couple different times here. Verse 7. Husbands, men, pay attention, but everybody else, you're not off the hook. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker is, is a physical sense, right? We're not, I'm stronger than most of the women in the room, right? We're not taking commentary on the value here. Honor the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Hear this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Men particularly husbands. Your prayer life might be being hindered because your relationship with your wife is not healthy. Now, I'm just going to say, I think the reciprocal is probably true in that as well, right? The details may be different, but, but the reciprocal of that's going to be true as well. Jump to me to verse, uh, to verse 10. And here Peter is quoting out of another psalm, when he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There is a way to live our lives that causes our prayers to go nowhere. To fall on deaf ears. John Piper, in writing on this, said this. He said, God has appointed a way for us to live which will help us pray. There are ways to live that hinder prayer, and there is a way to live that helps prayer. He goes on to say it with these kind of three uh, truths. He says, number one, it implies that prayers can be hindered. Our prayer life can be clogged, it can be blocked. The second thing he says is what blocks prayer is often our lives. The way we live, the way we relate to our wives or husbands or kids or parents or colleagues or neighbors. Number three, that opening the way of prayer, the opening the way of prayer to God involves a conscious endeavor. In each of these texts, Peter is telling us to resolve to do something that our prayers will not be hindered. Church, I want us to be a church that can constantly praise God for the answers to prayer that we, that we hear about. We write them down, take notes on them when we start praying for something, the specifics of those prayer requests, and when they get answered. I, I do that as a regular part of my spiritual life. Because sometimes ministry can be really hard, and ministry in Lahana, I'm just going to let you in a little secret, can be a little bit joyless sometimes. It's hard serving here. I open up my prayer journal and I say, hey, look, on this date we started praying for this. And on this date it got answered. And I say, praise the Lord for what he has done. Praise the Lord for what he has done. Church, some of us are living our lives with blocked prayer lives. One, because either we're not saved yet and we need to get saved. We need to fall in love with the most wonderful Savior ever who's already died for us. Some of us are saved, but because of sin in our lives, our prayer lives are hindered. The power that we have as Christians, which almost entirely comes from our prayer lives, is being shut down. When I say that, some of you are immediately already thinking, yep, that thing in my life. I know the thing in my life right now that is blocking my prayers. Some of you are saying, what, me? No, no. Church, it's not that the Lord doesn't or does answer every prayer that we lift to him, right? We know that that's not true. There are things that we ask for that would be terrible for us. There are things that we ask for that he says wait for. But there are those seasons in life or those times in life when we know that we're praying for something that's a good thing. And we're not even sure the Lord is hearing. Church, the question is, do we depend on God? Is our sin or is our sin getting in the way? God deserves praise. 
He deserves praise because he has done immeasurable good things for his people and for us as individuals, as those who love him. And he deserves praise for the the prayers that we bring him, that he answers. The psalmist here knows, knows that their prayers have been heard and knows that God is answering them. And hear the praise here in verse 19 and 20. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Church, this is where the gospel comes back into this. Because I will tell you what, the psalmist isn't perfect. There is not a single writer of scripture who is perfect. And the only way that God can hear their prayers is through the forgiveness that he offers, that he offers to you freely, to me freely, that we might be a people that would praise him constantly. One of the things that troubled me as I was, as I was working on this sermon is just thinking about how if God, in fact, and I hope you agree with me, if God, in fact, does eternally deserve the praise of those who love him, then every moment that I spend in my life and every moment you spend in your life not praising him We are actually depriving God of what he deserves. It's a hard, hard thing to think about. Moments when we are unthankful, even though we should be thankful. Moments when we don't speak up and proclaim what he's done in our souls. These are all moments of of failed, missed opportunities to just praise him. Church, when we think about praising God, let me just ask you a really simple question. Do you praise God enough? Do you praise God enough? Think about a song that we introduced a couple weeks, When Your Kingdom Comes at Last. One of the lines in it is that we are going to be singing endless praise. Church, this life is meant to be a preparation for eternity. And what a switch it is going to be when we get to eternity, when we go from, from praising a couple times a week to singing endless praise. And it just makes me wonder whether or not any of us will actually enjoy heaven. Because if we have such a hard time praising God now, then what are we going to think when we get there? Thinking about this, church, I want to invite you to a, a couple really practical steps towards increasing your praise life. And remember, when I talk about increasing our praise life, we're talking about seasoning all of life with joy, right? With the joy in Christ. Seasoning all of life. This is why this, this is how we do this. The first, church, we need to be a people who read a lot of scripture. I'm going to pause there for a sec. We need to be a people that read a lot of scripture. I got to tell you, a verse a day isn't going to cut it. If you read a verse a day your entire life, you, you won't even scratch a dent in your Bible. A verse a day, chapter a day, book a day, half the Gospels. Just, church, we need to be people who read Scripture a ton. I think one of the reasons we struggle with praise so often is because we are often a people who are not in the Word nearly enough. The second thing we need to do is spend some time every day reflecting on what God is doing in us and in me and you and in his people. Are you aware of what God is doing in your own heart and in your soul right now? I ask the question a lot, hey, what is God doing in your life? It's a question I ask. We ask it a lot of men's breakfast. We ask it at at small group stuff. What is God doing in your life? Church, if you are a Christian, you should have an answer to that every time we ask it. Because God is doing something. God is doing something in your life. What is that thing? Also, what is God doing, not just in you, but in his church? Someone who doesn't go to our church said, hey, what's God doing in your church right now? How would you ask that? Answer that. I mean, would you say, hey, I know God is, God is moving in this way. God is, is drawing us together in this way. God is teaching our church this right now. Well, what about not even just our church? What about the church? What is, what is God doing right now in Korea? What is God doing right now in South 
Asia, where we have a missionary at this very moment. What is God doing with his kingdom in Africa? What is God doing with his kingdom in Milwaukee? Right? Are you aware of what God, of how God is moving, not just with us and in our people, but in his people everywhere? I mean, sometimes when, when things get frustrating, when I realize how slow ministry can be, because I don't know if you've realized this about me, but, but I'm kind of a goer. And sometimes when small town ministry is slow and it's hard, and I've already mentioned that, but it's slow and it's hard. Sometimes one of the things that I do is I, I figure out what God is doing in places where it's less slow and maybe less hard or maybe harder, but they're still having a great time. They're still in joy, even though it's hard. Why? Because when I know what God is doing to save millions in Africa or in Asia right now, what does it do? It causes joy in my heart, right? It causes joy in my heart because our faith is both corporate and it is personal. And so we are called to praise God for what he is doing. So first, read a lot of scripture. See what God has done all throughout history to bring you to where you are today. Number two, number two is, is spending time every day reflecting, learning what God is doing in you and in his people. Number three, get in the habit of praising God daily. Get in the habit of praising God daily. Here's a couple ways to do it. First of all, come to church and worship with God's people every Sunday or as many Sundays as you possibly can. Every Sunday or as many Sundays as you possibly can. Worship with God's people. It gets easier and easier to worship God when you're around other people who are worshiping the Lord. Okay? Number two, listen to some really good praise music during the week. I was thinking about this earlier this week. In, in my house, in our house, there is almost always music going on in our house, whether it's somebody playing it or listening to it. We live in a day where you don't actually have to spend very much money to have constant music playing in your house. You can listen to a different song every single, I mean, just continually. What do you listen to during the week? I mean, I'm not saying don't listen to other stuff too, because music is music, and, it's, and most music is actually good for our souls. When you're in your house, is it silent, or is the TV always on? Or are you listening to music? And, and by that, what choice of music are you listening to? One of the things that increases joy as I'm doing things I don't like doing, like the dishes, is I listen to Christian music while I do, and I sing praises to God. Okay, I'm seasoning my chores with the gospel, with joy in the Lord. Okay, this is stuff that we can do, and this is actually really helpful. Okay, here's the third, the third piece of this in, in daily, regular um, habits of praising God. Get in the habit of prayerful declarations of God's goodness. Okay, the other day, I almost cut my finger off. It was exciting. Um, it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. I actually managed to slice through a brand new leather glove and then straight through my finger. And after a mild expletive, and be honest here, I said, man, just praise the Lord that it wasn't worse. Right? Yesterday I was working on a project in my house, and I was frustrated and tired and hot. And I just said, Lord, God, thank you. Thank you we can do these things. Right? I drive in the car, and I don't hit a cow. And I think, God, thank you that I didn't hit a cow today driving into town. It's a regular occurrence. I mean, there's cows everywhere. Get in the habit. This is silly, but it sounds silly, but I'm serious about it. Get in the habit. When you're by yourself, get in the habit when you're with your family, with your kids, with your spouse, just saying, praise the Lord for this. Just praise out loud. Grow that in yourself, that every time there's a, a reason to celebrate, to exalt in, in what he's doing, just say it. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the sunset as I'm driving home the other night. It was one of the most gorgeous sunsets I've ever seen on the way home from Kids Club. I think it was Kids Club the other day. 
Just praise the Lord for what he's doing and what he's done, okay? Church, we need to be a people that are marked by joyful praise. And I will just tell you, that's going to be really difficult if you don't yet know Christ. And if you're someone whose life is not marked by joyful praise, you may not know Christ yet. And what my invitation, uh, urging for you today is that today is the day. Make it happen. Come to the Lord now and receive from him the joyful praise that we might offer it back to him. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you look at your life and think, you know what? I need Jesus, and I don't have Jesus yet. Come find me or um, Scott or somebody else here in the room that you know loves Jesus before you leave today and ask us what it looks like to follow him. We would love to talk with you. Church, we need to be a people full of joyful praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. God, we thank you so much for what you've done. Lord, we pray that that you would receive our praise, Lord, that you would receive our prayers. God, we know that, especially as we come into the time of communion, we know that we have sin. And we know, Lord, that there are times when that sin keeps our prayers from even getting to your ears. So, Lord, we pray and, and we confess that. We repent of that, Lord, and we pray that you would heal us and work in us, Lord, the restoration of our relationship with you. God, we do also pray that as anyone in this room right now, that the Spirit is leading to, to realize that they are not saved yet and they need you. I pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself even right now. Lord, that we might even have one more prayer, prayer uh, uh, answered in that and exult in you all the more. God, we thank you and praise you for the word. We thank you and praise you for the example of praise. And God, I pray that we would be a people that are simply marked by joyful, passionate praise of you and of who you are, God, and what you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Church, we do come now to communion. This is a time for us to remember what Christ has done, which is another great time to be joyful and in 